This morning, I want to talk to you about the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, and what does it really mean to you? Last night, I received a phone call, and at the end of the conversation, they said, oh, by the way, Gary, happy Easter. And I said, well, happy Easter to you as well. And so when we think of Easter, now we know that um, the Easter bunny, the Easter eggs, has nothing really to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But something happened 300 years after Jesus Christ was crucified. And for the first time in the history, there was a Roman emperor who became a Christian. And his name was Constantine. And he wanted to bring together all of the people. So he wanted to bring together the Christians. He wanted to bring together the Jewish people and the pagans. And so that gives us an account of why we have a lot of things that don't make sense in the Christian church today. And so what had happened, it has brought a lot of confusion. Confusion of just really, I mean, we have 300 different denominations in this United States of ours, over 300, and they're all using the same book. We're all reading it the same, maybe a different translation here or there, but it's basically all the same. And yet we have 300 different, different bodies, and many of them are saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. They believe that what they believe is the, is the only way to believe. But the Easter, the root of the word is found in the name of a place of the sunrise, and that is the East. And our ancestors, the first time they used the word Easter, was designated to celebrate the feast of a new life in this spring. Now, <clears throat> to the Christian, Easter is the Sunday when Jesus Christ rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago. The most characteristic word of the Christian religion is the word resurrection. Early Christians were thoroughly convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and that they believed this because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you could go back to Good Friday 2,000 years ago, on the evening of Good Friday, you would have found the door shut in the upper room and barred for fear of the Jews. Inside were 11 despairing, humiliated, and trembling men. Life was over as they could see it. Their life crashed that night when Jesus said it is finished. They thought that Jesus was the Messiah who came to redeem Israel. At last, they thought that. He said that it was true that he was the Messiah and that he would come to redeem the people. But now he was dead and they were stuck in the upper room wondering what in the world is going to happen to them next. But Sunday came. And those men who were morally and spiritually defeated 
they heard something. He has risen, and the tomb is empty. And it was the fact of the empty tomb, and plus all of the appearances of Jesus afterwards, that the early Christian church believed in the resurrection. Think about it. How could 11 cowards locked in a room of fear go out and preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you would think that they would be afraid that they would be making fools of themselves once again. How could these ordinary, fallible, blundering men go out and turn the world upside down? It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning is, why is the resurrection important to you? Now, we know that it's important to the church, but what about you? Why is the resurrection important to you, or is it? Or is it just an event that took place? Well, this morning I want us to see why it's important to us as individuals. The way we live our daily life depends on our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just that he was resurrected, but why was he resurrected? And what does it mean to you on a daily, living out this Christian life on a daily basis? Now, yesterday was the beginning of the Passover, the Jewish Passover. They used to be that those days were on the same day. The resurrection and the Passover began the same day. But here again, Constantine, he changed it. He didn't want anything to do. And so he made a law that it could not be on the same day. So it's the next day. So we've, we've pretty well stuck close to it anyway. Now, God decrees, and, and God always gives us a way out. He gives us, he shows us a way and when it comes to the celebration of the Passover, we all know the story. We've seen it on TV many times. In fact, one of the things that I've enjoyed through the years is on Holy Week, which we call Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, Holy Week, somewhere during that week, on almost all the different channels, is the movie, The Ten Commandments. And I love that movie. I remember as a boy... I went to the theater to see that, that movie, and it really changed my life then. I didn't know it then, but it made me think about God. Now, we know the story. God chose Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. They were slaves for over 400 years, and now God is going to redeem them. And God chose Moses as his mouthpiece. But when the Pharaoh refused to let his people go, then God, he decreed judgment. And he provided a way of escape also. But he decreed judgment that would fall on those people and they would receive ten plagues. And those of us that remember the story, we know that the, that 
that right before he redeemed them, right before that he let them go, the last plague that would fall on all humanity, everyone who lived in in Egypt, whether they were Egyptians or whether they were Israelites. But God told them a way of an escape. He said that if you were under the blood, you would be saved. That's the same message today. And what those children of Israel did, they slaughtered the, the Passover lamb. They took that blood, they put it on the doorpost. And when the, the avenging angel came through that night, they passed, they, they passed over all the homes that were under the blood. And the innocent Passover lamb is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is mentioned over 30 times as the Lamb of God. I find it interesting, as I look at the Passover celebration, it reminds the children of Israel that they were in bondage, and now, through the Almighty God, they were set free. And for us Christians, when we think of the resurrection, we think of how Jesus Christ redeemed us And we were once slaves to sin, but now we are free from its power. Once again, what does the resurrection mean to you? Most Christians focus on Christ's death for our sins. And certainly the death is critical because it took away all of our sins. This morning, the focus is on the resurrection for it is the validity of Christianity. Man is not saved by the death of Christ, but by the life of Christ. So, if I were to ask you to articulate what the resurrection means to you, you would probably say, well, it, it's, it means the power of God. He raised the dead. And we know that Jesus Christ, of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead and many others. And so it's hard to articulate. We can do the cross. Uh, we, we wear the cross. A lot of people wear the cross on a chain. It's a reminder of who they are and who Christ is and what Christ did. But to articulate the resurrection is a little bit more difficult. So I thought it would be best to see how Paul would do it so that we could understand it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, it says, For I delivered to you also, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So Paul says the most important thing right now, the most important thing to the Christian is to know that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And then he says, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now, this is really important. We believe, and if you do believe, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that that tells us something right there, why it's so important. That means that the sin issue is over. You know, too many people today, too many Christians, 
they focus on their sins. And that's a big problem when we do that. We don't get any we don't get too far in our Christian walk if we're focusing on our sins. And so here Christ died for our sins and he was buried and that's important because he was dead and he was buried, placed in a tomb and he rose the third day. And after he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then later on he 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 happened to appear to the 12 and after that, he appeared to more than 500 at a time. 500. And, Paul says, and some of them are still alive. Most of them are. Some have gone to sleep. Some of them have passed away. But if you don't believe what I'm saying to you, here are the 500. You can ask them what they saw, and that will, that will solidify the truth of the resurrection. Over 500 people at one time he appeared to. And so the question is, do you believe it? Is it something that's just written in a book? Or do you actually believe it? Paul is saying the greatest message in all of Christendom is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was dead. He was placed in a tomb, and he rose again. One of the things that I miss a little bit about being up there in Northern Virginia, I used to go to the, the service that a good friend of mine, a good pastor, Amos Dodge, he had that service there for at least 30 years. I think it's still going on. And, um, and I miss that because when we would walk down the street going to the Lincoln Memorial, Instead of saying good morning, people would just say, he has risen. And then we would say, indeed, he has risen, indeed. It wasn't happy Easter. It was he has risen, the true meaning of what took place then. If you believe that Christ died for your sins, if you believe that he was resurrected, if you were one of those who invited him when he knocked on your door, if you are one of those who invited him in, you now know what being born again is. Born again is not necessarily a feeling. When I was born again, I was a young man just out of the Marine Corps, and I was, uh, I was going to these meetings, and I heard about Jesus Christ, and they had an altar call, and I went forward and gave my life to Christ, but I had no idea what I did. I had no idea. On the way home, I stopped at the tavern. I drank until I was drunk. And then I went, the next day, I went back to the meeting. And I did this almost every night of the meeting until the evangelist, he said that if you're in Christ, you don't do those things. So we are growing and maturing in Christ. But the moment that I said yes to Christ, he said yes to me, and he came in to my life. I didn't feel anything. I didn't walk away thinking, oh, this is, this is wonderful, this is great. I knew something was going on in my life, and I couldn't figure it out. I, I, I didn't understand it. All of a sudden, my wants were changing, and, it, and I wasn't putting any effort into it. It was just beginning to change. And so... 
Don't let anyone, don't let anyone ever try to tell you that when you opened the door, that it was not enough. It was enough. In fact, the Bible says, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he has the head over all rule and authority. Yes, you have been made complete. Complete in Christ. The moment that you said yes to Christ, you didn't feel complete. I'm not saying that. You didn't act like you were complete in Christ. But were you? Yes, you were. You were complete in Christ. Now, I know that there's a lot of super saints that run around in Christian churches and they think they know everything about everything. And they'll tell you that, well, yes, you were born again, but there's more to it than that. Were you baptized? You have to be baptized to enter into the kingdom of heaven, they say. Well, you try to convince that to the thief on the cross and you won't get too far. Some will say that you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you receive the fullness, the fullness. And the Bible says that you were complete. You were complete then, and you're complete now. Now, do you act complete? Do you think complete? No, no, not, not all the time. But are you? The Bible proclaims that you are. The Bible proclaimed that Jesus Christ was risen. Do you believe it? The Bible says that you are complete in Christ. Do you believe it? Do you actually believe it? Or is it something that you have to feel? Or is it something that has to, somehow God has to prove it to you? Or can you accept it based on what he said is true? There are some people that say, yes, I understand you say you were born again. But did you make Christ Lord of your life? Well, that sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? You, you have to make the Lord Lord of your life. Listen, when you opened the door, the Lord Jesus Christ came in. He came in. He occupies that position with you today. He's given you a new heart. You are brand new on the inside. Do you feel brand new Probably not. There are times you probably don't. And there are times that you do. So, don't let anyone try to convince you. We all start out as babies in Christ. We are maturing. We are growing in Christ. Listen, the moment that God knocks on your door and you said yes, it was over. Everything was over. You were brought into the family of God. It is not our performance that determines whether you, that you are saved or not. I mean, it's a false assumption to believe that all of a sudden, because you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, that, that you don't sin anymore. There's a big problem with that. There were Judaizers in Paul's day that were 
trying to infiltrate and try to get the people back under the law, try to get them to think of things that they thought were done away with, and they were bringing it to them, and they were trying to convince them. And some were trying to convince, especially the Gnostics, that you never sin, that you never sin. The Bible says that you are no longer in your sins. The Bible says this about the resurrection. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. I don't know how Paul could have put it any clearer. If you do not believe in the resurrection, your faith is worthless. It's absolutely worthless. You are still in your sins. So I want to focus just for a little bit. You are still in your sins. Because the truth is, the Bible says that you are no longer in your sins. So if you believe in the resurrection, you are no longer in your sins. The sin issue has been settled for you. It was settled on Good Friday. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, the sin issue was over. No one is going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. Sin is not the issue. I know that there's a lot of super saints that want to make it the issue. They want some sort of a scorecard. And there's a lot of us who were, who've been brought up, and at one time I believed it too. I believe that, you know, it, there's going to be a big chalkboard in heaven and all of your good deeds are going to be placed on one and then all of your sins and then all of them, as you confess them, it will be erased. That is not true. It's not true at all. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the sin issue was settled forever. Your sins were 2,000 plus years forward. And when he died on the cross, it covered the sins of the world. No one is going to be lost because of sin. It's only going to be because of unbelief. Listen, that is the good news of the gospel. We are free from sin. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we were freed from sin from the penalty of sin. Because Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he paid his life. The wages of sin is death, and he died for you. He died for me, died for every one of us. The truth is that your sins were taken away. When Jesus saw John the Baptist, he says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist knew when he saw Jesus. The sin issue was over. He would take away the sins. In the Old Testament, they never took it away. They covered it, but never took it away. Jesus Christ took it away. Now, here's something that sometimes is really hard to believe. But when you study the Bible, you find out that everybody is someplace. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's only two places to be. You're either in Adam or in Christ. 
If you're in Adam, you're going to die in that line. Adam, if, if we could trace our genealogy, it would go all the way back to Adam. And so what happens here, God did a surgery. What he did is he took you out of Adam and put you in another line, in Christ's line. And Christ's line is eternal. When you're in Christ, you have eternal life because eternal life is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So, you and I were transferred from Adam into another line, the line of Christ. And there we are today, seated, the Bible says we're even seated in the heavenlies. Now, the question I have for you is, are you consumed with your sins? Or are you consumed with your Savior? That's the issue today. Are you consumed with your sins? I cannot tell you over the years how many Christians, wonderful Christians that I've known, that have been so absorbed, so focused on their sin, that they fail to see the Savior. It's not how big our sins are. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. I mean, he, he dragged people out of their homes and had them stoned, had them killed. And he thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was going to put a stop to all this craziness that he was hearing. And God chose a murderer to write three-quarters of the New Testament. I mean, what is up with God? What does God do? I mean, he can take somebody who's a murderer and turn him into a preacher. He can take somebody to who, who was a bad, bad person and use them to write the epistles in the New Testament. It is not how big your sins are. It is how big your God is. How, so I ask you, how big is your God? Too many Christians are so totally obsessed. I mean, you can't take the Lord's Supper without people going into an examination. Uh, they start... They start thinking if they're worthy enough to take the Lord's Supper. And so a lot of times they're asked to examine themselves. Why, why would you examine yourself? The Bible says that when you sin, your sins are forgiven and they are forgotten. If they are forgotten, why are you trying to remember them all? I mean, the Lord says that he has forgotten your sins. He remembers them no more. Do you realize how many Christians that there are? Sincere, wonderful Christians who think and believe that they're going to be judged at the end of time. That they're going to stand before God and give account for all their sins. All those sins that God said he's forgotten. He remembers them no more according to Hebrews. What a marvelous, wonderful message that God has given to us.
We can't live the Christian life. We try, and the more we try, the harder we fall. The gospel is all about our Savior. It's not about our sins. It's all about the one who died for our sins. On Good Friday, Jesus said, it is finished. One day I'm going to give a, a message on what exactly was finished. What was finished? Well, we know that the sin issue was finished. We know that. We know that the forgiveness issue was finished. We know that. I mean, no longer do we have to beg and plead and ask God to forgive us. He forgave us 2,000 years ago. He forgave us for all of our sins. We are free from the condemnation of sin. What a marvelous message that God has given to us. So Friday, he said it is finished. Sunday, all of heaven proclaimed, it's all true. Everything is true. He is risen. Now, everything is free. Did you know that your salvation is free? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's free. Did you know having Christ living in your life is a free gift from him? Did you know that your righteousness is a free gift from him? In the New Testament, Everything is free. Everything is free. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, this is what you must do. In the New Testament, it says, this is what has been done for you. This is what has been done for you. Everything. The Bible says, by grace, are you saved. Do we believe that? There's an interesting conversation that Jesus was having with the Sadducees. You know, there was a big deal about the resurrection between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection, but um, the Sadducees, they didn't. And I like what uh, a good friend of mine used to say years ago, that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and that's why they were sad, you see. And that's true. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they thought that they were going to stump Jesus here. And they gave him an example because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they knew that Jesus did. And so they, they were trying to tell him, okay, Moses says that if, you're, if your brother's wife dies and, and uh, you, you are to take her as your a bride and, and help raise the children and everything. And then he went through it seven times. And then they said to him, now who is going to be the wife in heaven? And this is Jesus' reply. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, that future age, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. And for they cannot even die anymore. And they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. 
Did you know that you're a son of the resurrection? When you embrace and believe the resurrection, you are a son of the resurrection. The Bible is so clear. The Bible makes it very plain. But do you see it? You will never die. You who embrace and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you will never die. What does that mean? Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ living in you, you will live eternally. Yes, you may die, but remember what the Lord said. To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. The Bible is clear. God changes you. You will never die. What has happened when you said yes to Christ? He exchanged your life. He transferred you out of the line of Adam into the line of Christ. And there you will be forever. God has changed your spiritual location. Because of our original position in Adam, we are like Adam. But when God transfers us into the line of Christ, we become more and more like Christ. The Bible says that he is recreating us into his image. Every single one of us, he is recreating. Oh yes, some go faster than others, but that's not the issue. That's not important. He is recreating us into his image. We are safe and secure. You were in the line of Adam. Now you're in the line of Christ. And notice what the Bible says in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were in Adam, made us alive together with Christ, By grace, you have been saved. It is absolutely free gift that God gave you. And raised us up with him and seated seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Yes. So he's going to break a little bit. He's going to show us. He's going to show all of the universe his surpassing riches of his grace in his kindness towards each one of us. We were bought with his blood. We received new life because of his resurrection. God did something. You were dead in your sins and you were made alive. That's the thing that I noticed in my conversion. All of a sudden, I had an awareness that I never had before. I had an awareness that maybe I'm not supposed to do that. Maybe I I couldn't understand it, but maybe God is doing something with me. Maybe God is doing something in me. And that's exactly what I didn't understand it, but that's exactly what was taking place. God was doing something in me. We have the assurance that all of this has been accomplished 
for us. Why? Because Christ is eternal and it is impossible to lose what is eternal. Now, I know that there's a, a big decision over once saved, always saved, and, and all of this. But I will tell you something right now. That when you are saved, you are saved throughout eternity. And you can translate that any way that you want to. But you are safe and secure. And God says, I will let no one pluck you out of my hand. No one. You are safe and secure. After paying the price for the sins of the world, Jesus was resurrected. And he gave to us his resurrected life. And he's made that available to all. This truth is so awesome that it sounds too good to be true. And the problem is that most Christians, they want to believe this. They do. Most Christians want to believe this. But it's very difficult for them to believe it because of what goes on in their mind, what goes on in their actions. And it's just hard for them just to believe that it's this simple. They surveyed, I don't know how many were in the, in the survey, but they were surveying Christians and, and they found out that 80% of all Christians, this is what they believe about the Christian life. If you describe what is a Christian, what is being a Christian to you? It is reading the Bible and obeying all the rules that are in the Bible. Now that's a sad day when 80% of the Christians actually believe that. It's reading the Bible and following all of the rules that are in the Bible. Because if you read the Old Testament, you're going to run into 613 different laws. If you're going to read the New Testament, you're going to run into two. Two of the most fantastic laws that there could ever be. And it's something that you don't have to do. It's something that you are. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor. I had a neighbor come to my home this past week. And he was telling me about an unfortunate circumstances that took place. A father had two sons. And um, he had a, a fairly good sized farm. And he left the farm to one son and not the other. And so, just recently, the, the, the son who, who got the farm, he kicked his brother off the property. Got a lawyer, he, he had to leave. So he was telling me all about this, and I said, oh, I said, that's terrible, you know. And then he said to me, yeah, and he's a Christian. I says, well, that doesn't speak too highly of us, does it? And he says, well, he says, I don't go to church. He says, I haven't been to church in, in 20 years. I said, well, that has nothing to do with being a Christian, does it? And he said this. He said, well, I said, I don't know about that. He says, but this, this father that left, had the two sons, he had cancer. And no more cancer. He says, but I got a feeling it's going to come back. He says, God's going to get him. And I thought that's what people believe. People believe that we are serving an angry God. 
and that when you do something wrong, he's going to come and get you. If you're not doing this, if you're not doing that, he's going to come. He's going to cause something bad to happen. He's going to get you somehow. And that is not the God that we serve. Our God is a gracious, loving God. He comes and he knocks on every door. Do you realize that? He says, I wish above all things that everyone would be saved. That's what I want. I want everybody to be saved. But he gave man a choice. He's given you and I choices. We make them every day. He's given us a choice whether we want his life or whether we want to go it on our own. Most of us here have discovered it doesn't work to try to go it on your own. It just doesn't work. And so we've asked Christ for help. My, my plea to God was, God, I, I'm not sure you're there. I'm not sure that I believe. But if you're there, man, I need help. And if you could help me, I'd appreciate it. I didn't know the sinner's prayer. That didn't come into the Christian church until maybe 100 or 150 years ago. It's not found in the Bible. The Bible says you hear the word, you believe the word, and you're saved by what you believe. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that sealed you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Christ came. He knocked. You answered. You said yes. He gave you a new heart, the Bible says. He gave you a new human spirit. You see, when he took you out of Adam, when he transferred you, when you said yes, when he transferred you out of Adam into Christ, you received a new human heart. A new human heart. Do you realize that it is your desire, it is it's something within you, it's the Holy Spirit in you, you desire to do what is right. You really desire to love your neighbor. You desire to love God with all your heart. But we're, we're faced with a world that comes at us every day. And when it comes at us, there's circumstances that throw us. And what a marvelous message it is that we are saved by grace and not what throws us. We are saved by God's loving arms, the sacrifice that he made. We receive his life because of his resurrection. Without the resurrection, we would not have Christ living in us. It's the resurrection that causes us to have Christ living in the believer. And his whole desire, that's all he wants, is to you to allow him to live his life in you and through you. That's all he wants. He doesn't want you to change. He wants to change you if you need to be changed. You try to change yourself and it's a dead end road. It's a frustrating place to be. But God's opened his arms to you. His desire for us is to enjoy him and his, and his life that he is providing.
Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the wonderful good news of the resurrection. We're thankful, Lord, that our sins have been all taken care of. We praise you and thank you for that. It helps us to live in the here and now. It helps us to know that you love us and that it is your desire to live your life in us and through us. And Lord, if there's someone here that's never opened their heart to that, I pray that they'll do so just now. I pray that they will come to the realization that life doesn't work without embracing and believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For otherwise, it would all be foolishness. We thank you for the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will be with us as we, as we leave this place and as we rejoice in the resurrection. I pray that it will be more and more meaningful, us, meaningful to us as we contemplate what we have heard today. Bless us, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.